Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 26 in just a moment. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound Bible somewhere around you in the pew, and uh, Luke chapter 1, where we're going to be reading, is on page 855 of that Bible. Uh, As you're turning there, I do want to, all all of us, uh, if you're part of Gray Road, we have been uh, praying and seeking the Lord on behalf of the Willis family uh, for their adoption from India, and uh, I am pleased to be able to tell you that they have been matched with a little girl, which means that we, that we, they, and we with them in spirit are taking the next steps forward. Uh, nothing would please me more than to plaster her face on the screen and have you ooh and awe over her. You'll have to chase them down because uh, that wouldn't be appropriate uh, for us to do. So um, just imagine she's much better looking than Justin. All right? So <laughs> it's true. It is. I, that's, not, that's not a criticism. That's just fact. All right. So <laughs> Luke, Luke chapter 1, if you're, if you're visiting with us, we, we've been studying, we've been, we started a series that we're actually going to work all the way through the gospel of Luke, uh, but we started and, uh, a few weeks ago, and at the beginning, Luke tells us that he writes in order that uh, Theophilus and all those who read would have certainty regarding their faith that they would know that the story of the Christian faith, that the reality of of, of all that's said and taught in Jesus, in in the Gospels, by the apostles, that it's true, that it's rooted in history. Even when you read about things like an angel arriving with news from God, and that is what we see today. Luke chapter 1, we'll read verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Our great God and Father, we bow now to ask for your help 
that your spirit might empower the preaching of your word, that your servant would be faithful in these, day, in these minutes and that he would disappear so that the Savior shines. Turn all our eyes on you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most basic realities of the Christian life is faith, trust. It defines what it means to be a Christian in some ways. A Christian is one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Being a Christian isn't a matter of knowing the facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not even a matter of saying, hey, those things are true. It is a matter of relying on the crucified and risen Jesus Christ to save you, to lay our lives in His hands, confident that not only can He save us when we do that, but He will save us when we do that. Now, that kind of faith is actually not meant for one moment. It's not meant for one day. It's not meant for one service where you hear one sermon and you have one moment at one time where you are moved by something that is said. This kind of faith is actually something that is a daily occurrence in the sense that every day the, the Christian entrusts himself, entrusts herself to God, trusting His Word to guide the way that we live, trusting His wisdom when life is confusing, trusting His sovereign plan when life is uncertain, trusting His good purposes when life is painful. This morning we find this kind of faith, this kind of trust in Mary. She is visited by an angel and receives news of her coming pregnancy and motherhood, and she responds with faith in God. And in reading of her faith and in reading of this, and even of the angel's announcement, our faith should be encouraged, that as we walk away from this text, we should be encouraged to trust the Lord because He is gracious and faithful and powerful. Trust the Lord because He is gracious and faithful and powerful. Now, there are two sides of this interaction. There is God's announcement to Mary through the angel, and then there is Mary's response to God. And so, those are the two things we're going to look at. First of all, to look at God's announcement to Mary. Previously, God sent Gabriel, this angel, to a priest named Zechariah, telling him that his wife would uh, bear a son, and that son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now, Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and Gabriel is dispatched again by God, not to another priest, but to a young woman who's likely around 15 years old, preparing for marriage. I don't know if anybody in here is 15. But that probably is the last thing that you would think that you would need to be preparing for at this age in your life. And yet in that custom and in that culture, that's what would, she was preparing for. But the announcement that she receives, <laughs> it blows her mind. It is beyond her finite comprehension. 
and it's beyond our comprehension. And yet, even though we cannot fully wrap our minds around this, let's just be very honest when we talk about the fact that a virgin gives birth. We cannot fully put our mind around it. Yet, this announcement to her about what is going to happen reveals a few things about God. The first thing it reveals about God is His grace. The first thing this announcement reveals is His grace. You see, of all the towns that Gabriel might be sent to, Nazareth would never be a natural choice. And of all the girls that Gabriel would be sent to, Mary would just never be the natural choice. In, uh, in December 1965, now 58 years ago, uh, the, the Beatles released a song. It was one of the, the first uh, I read. It was one of the first that didn't have to do with love and romance, but it was called Nowhere Man. He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Well, those words could really apply here because Mary really is a nobody, and she lives in Nowheresville. I mean, Nazareth is just a blip on the map, not even mentioned in the Old Testament or any other early Jewish literature. It has a reputation. Later on in the Gospel of John, somebody's going to ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a nowhere, and there's nothing special about Mary. I mean, she's betrothed to Joseph, and he's from the line of David, so that's important. But Luke doesn't say anything like that. He just says, this is who Joseph is, and then here's this virgin Mary. (laughs) There's no no indication of anything particular about her. But but that's not it. But but did you remember, do you remember what the angel, what Luke says about Zechariah and Elizabeth? Go back to verse 6. After introducing them and their family heritage and all of these things, verse 6 says, And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Nothing like that is said about Mary. We don't yet, we don't yet know anything about her, except she's betrothed. And the angel has showed up. There's nothing about Nazareth. And there's nothing about Mary that compels God to choose her. It is a matter of grace. So the angel says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. To be clear, he does not say, Hail Mary, full of grace. He says, you have been graced. That's what he says. So that she is not a reservoir of grace who may dispense it. She is the recipient of grace, as is everyone else who is part of God's family. And Mary knows there's nothing in her to make God choose her. Look at at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
I mean, for goodness sake, she doesn't, when the angel says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, she doesn't say, well, obviously. I mean, look at me. No. This is like the kid, I mean, this is the kid on the playground who can't, who can't catch a ball, who can't kick a ball, getting picked first for kickball. She's like, she's scratching her head, she's shaking her head, she has no idea why this is going on. So the angel repeats this matter of grace in the very next verse. You have found favor with God. That's the only explanation. Grace is the only explanation for why God comes to her. And dear friend, grace is the only explanation why God would ever come to any of us. There's nothing about us that catches God's eye. There's nothing about us that captures God's attention. It is as Paul writes. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And yet today, some people seem to, seem to speak as if God admires us. He sees how skilled we are. He sees how talented we are. He sees how athletic we are. He sees how beautiful we are. And he just can't help himself. I mean, he loves us. Dear friend, even if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must never begin to think that the love of God is somehow set upon you at any moment in your existence because of something that is in you. God's love for us is not wonderful because God saw how lovable we are and, uh, and loved us. God's love for us is wonderful because He sees how unlovable we are in our sin, and yet He loves us anyway. We deserve to be left out. We deserve to be cast out. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to be separated from God forever because of our sin. The glory of grace is that God comes near even to us. In fact, you want to know how you're really starting to understand what Christianity is all about? You want to really know when you're going to start understanding what grace is? It's when you think about yourself and you start singing about yourself. I'm a real nowhere man. God's announcement through the angel shows his grace. But it also shows his faithfulness. His faithfulness. Remember what Luke's gospel is all about, according to Luke, back in chapter 1, verse 1. It's about the things that have been accomplished among us. That doesn't just mean things that happened. The things that were accomplished are the things that God said would be accomplished. This is a phrase that speaks about the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. And the angel's announcement indicates that what Luke says his whole gospel is about is what this baby is going to achieve. This baby that is coming is going to fulfill all that God has promised would happen. So let's read it. Verse uh, 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary, this vir- the virgin, will conceive and bear a son. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, fulfilling the promise of God through Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah 7, 14. And this child Jesus will be great. Now, if you recall last week, Elizabeth's baby, uh, verse 15 says, he will be great before the Lord. So there is some kind of aspect of this greatness. He's going to be great as the Lord looks on him and says he's great. But this baby is different than that. This baby is just going to be great without qualification. He is going to be great because He is the Son of the Most High. He is unique among all human beings. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. Again, Isaiah said it. We read it during our time of praise, didn't we? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now pause for just a moment. The very realities of the person of Jesus, who He is, is seen right there. Who is He? Well, He is fully human. How do I know that from that text? Because He is conceived in a womb, and she will bear Him. He will be born. That's human language. But not only is He truly and fully human, He is truly divine. He is Son of the Most High. He is holy. He is the Son of God. And so, you you see, the fact is, is that Jesus does not become the Son of God later in life. That is a heresy called adoptionism. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son from all eternity, and He takes on flesh at the Incarnation. Now, back to the promises. This baby Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. Now, that goes back about a thousand years to when God says this to King David through Nathan the prophet, "'I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish His kingdom.'" And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. And that is repeated in the Old Testament. This idea that, a, that one through the line of David will come and will reign, it's repeated a number of times. We read again in Isaiah 9 that we read earlier, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then in Jeremiah 23, I will raise up For David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. The angel's announcement underlines God's faithfulness. He will not let a single promise go unfulfilled. What he says he will do, he will do. We read this, and we are reminded of that. Friends, one of the, we have these 
Bible reading plans that, that, that are on the wall out here, and they're taken throughout the year. And I'm so thankful that so many people are taking them, and I hope utilizing them in your own private devotional life. But one of the benefits of actually reading the Bible and reading all of the Bible is to see God being faithful to keep His promises over and over and over again. This is one of the great things. You don't just need to know the Romans road. You don't just need to know your favorite verses. You don't just need to know your favorite book of the Bible, even though it's wonderful to know all those things. You need to see how from beginning to end God says what He is going to do in response to this rebellious world, and He does what He says He will do in response to this rebellious world. For all who come to Him in faith, He keeps His promise to save them. For all who refuse Him, He keeps His promise of eternal judgment. And you see little indicators along the way. I mean, as you read the histories in the Old Testament, it's not not unusual to come across a statement like, this was in fulfillment of what the Lord had said through the prophet. Why would the narrator say that? Not to show off. It's so that we'll believe that when God says He's going to do something, He'll do it. It's to build faith. And that's what we see this announcement doing. I mean, that's in the place where God most clearly fulfills His promises, these great and glorious grand promises of salvation is in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1 says that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So this announcement not only reveals God's grace, it reveals God's faithfulness, and then it reveals God's power. Having heard the angel's words, Mary obviously thinks this is going to happen soon, like before her marriage is even officially, before she's even fully married, which is why she asked this question in verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, we'll look at that question in a bit, but I want you to see the answer first. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. The answer to Mary's question about how will this be is God's power. That is the answer to her question. The Holy Spirit, the very power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And those of, and those of us who read that, we're like, what did that look like? I want to know what that looked like. What was that like? Can you give me some details? Can we just sit around in our small group this week and just speculate what the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit might have been like? Don't do it. If you're a growth group leader, don't you dare have your group speculate what the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit might have been. You know how I, why I say that? Because if God wanted us to know what the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit looked like, God would have told us what the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit looked like. Man, but I'd really like those details. Why don't we get any details? And I read this interesting comment in in one of the commentaries uh, this week where the man wrote, uh, it is not that God wants us to be ignorant of things, but to be content that He is competent. He may not want you to speculate, 
but to adore. The goal isn't to figure out how it happened. The goal is to be in awe of the fact that it happened. And it is, in the true sense of the word, awesome. And then to emphasize this great power of God, the angel points to Elizabeth. Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. In verse 36, it say, this, this, is, this leaped out at me this week. For what reason? I don't know. But her who was called barren. She was called barren. Not he who, she who was barren. She who was called barren as if it were a nickname. As if when she goes to the market, one lady's whispering to another, hey, there goes old barren Betty. Everybody knew she was barren. That's why when she actually becomes pregnant in Luke 1, she says the Lord has taken away my reproach among people because there was reproach among people. But God intervened and opened her womb and gave her a son. God's power worked in Elizabeth's life just like it had before in Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and others. Yeah, but this is different. I mean, in those cases, there was at least a husband and a wife. There was at least physical intimacy. There was at least the normal means of producing a child. This is way beyond that. But the angel adds, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now literally, when you just read those words in order in the Greek language, it, it says this, not impossible for God, all matters or all words. Not impossible for God. Well that's, just, well, that's just a helpful thing to remember when I go to pray, isn't it? Not impossible for God. Not impossible for God. All matters. All words. So nothing God says or thinks or determines in his mind is impossible for him. Nothing. I, look, Susan and I somehow got looped into watching like these, uh, these, these crime drama things, right? On like ABC or whatever. And so you watch them and they make the most ridiculous statements. Somebody, some child is missing and all these things. And what they say is, we're going to find them. I promise. And every time they promise, your skin wants to crawl, right? Because you know how these writers are. They often go in another direction, and something happens, and somebody winds up being dead. And, I mean, you, you never find that guy or whoever, it, whatever it is. Our words can fall flat no matter our best intentions. God's words never fall flat. Never. Our words fall flat because, well, we just neglect it, we forget it, we don't have the power to do what we said we would do. 
but not God. I mean, we sit around and we tell our kids, you can do anything you set your mind to. And that just is not true. I mean, they may be able to do a lot of things through hard work and through determination and providential opportunity. But there's a limit. But there is no such limit with God. Anything He sets His mind to, not only can He do it, He will do it. I mean, we have to remember, don't we? We always have to remember that this is the God who said, let there be light. And by His power, light. It has been well said that if you can believe Genesis 1-1, if you can believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then there is nothing that follows Genesis 1-1 that you should struggle to believe. If God can create all things out of nothing, why would we ever struggle that God could create life without the normal human means of producing a child? Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. So a message about a virgin giving birth to a Savior who is God in the flesh and who will rule as king forever is in our minds unbelievable and impossible, but it is not when you take into account the grace and faithfulness and power of God. And dear friend, if you are a Christian, I just want to encourage you, okay? This is your God. This is your God. This God of grace and faithfulness and power is your God if you are a Christian. Marvel at His grace. Rejoice in His faithfulness. Stand in awe of His power. I mean, think about this. God's unstoppable power means that He can do all that He wants to do, right? Well, you couple that with God's faithfulness, and God's power will keep all of His promises and never fail. No purpose of yours can be thwarted, Job says. But then when you add on His grace, God's unstoppable power will never fail to keep His promises to even me. A nowhere man, a rebel, unworthy sinner. And if you're not a Christian, these three characteristics of God could not be more relevant for you this morning because God's grace means that He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. For you. His power is demonstrated in that He defeated death through raising Jesus Christ from the dead for you. And, his, and He is faithful that He will keep His promise to save all who come to Him by faith if you will come to Him by faith. What would keep you from that today? 
What would keep you from turning from your sin and trusting in Him? What would keep you from saying, yes, Lord? I'd love nothing more than to talk to you about that after the service. And I know all the folks here who are Christians would love nothing more than to do the same. God's announcement to Mary is quite something. And then we see God's, uh, Mary's response to God. It can be summed up in one word, faith. Mary believes what she's told. She submits. She trusts the God who sent Gabriel. This faith doesn't mean that Mary understands it all. Verse 34, her question, how can this be? How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? Back in verse 18, when the angel told Zechariah that his wife would have a son, his question was different. Verse 18, it was, how shall I know this? How can I be sure what you're saying can't be true? I'm too old. She's too old. But here, Mary doesn't question whether she'll conceive. She wonders how. How can a virgin be pregnant? How can I have a child without physical intimacy with a man? Dear friend, wondering how God will keep His promise is not the same as wondering if He will keep His promise. Those are two very different things. And then her faith actually submits to God. Look at verse 38. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, servant there is a word that identifies a slave, one who has no rights, whose will bends completely to the, to the will of the master. And God, so, so Mary sees this grace and faithfulness and power of God through the message of the angel, and she says, whatever you say, Lord, I'm yours. Wherever you lead, I'll go. You are the potter. I'm the clay. That seems like a nice moment, but there's a whole lot more than a nice moment there because this kind of faith takes courage. This kind of faith takes courage. It takes courage in Mary because she may not know how she'll conceive a child, but she knows how she'll be perceived once the baby bump arrives. What people will say, how this might look. After all, she's betrothed, and being betrothed in that culture was far more serious than being engaged in our culture today. Uh, sexual immorality during a time of betrothal was adultery. And when a 15-year-old girl comes to you pregnant and she's betrothed, that's the only conclusion people will draw. That's it. And the law prescribes stoning for adultery. Now, to be very clear, it's not practiced as often in the first century, but it does happen. If you turn forward this afternoon to John chapter 8, you'll find a woman caught in adultery, and what is she facing? The stones of her accusers. So at the very least, Mary is going to end up with a reputation, right, being that girl. Nobody's going to throw Mary a baby shower Nobody's going to send her cards of congratulations. 
Just like they called Elizabeth barren, they'll call Mary something. And oh my, what will Joseph think? What will he do? What sane man is going to believe that she is pregnant because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her? Uncertainty abounds in the wake of this announcement. But in the face of uncertainty, Mary trusts the Lord. And she submits, let it be to me according to your word. Friends, that phrase isn't just an expression of Mary's faith. That should be the expression of all our faith daily before the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Personal choices made according to your word. Work approached and accomplished according to your word. Money thought about according to your word, teaching and ideas evaluated according to your word, suffering seen and endured according to your word, families formed and grown and raised according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And how do you get there? How do you get to the place where in all of life this is the posture of submission? I think we do it the same way that Mary did. We have to see with eyes of faith our great and glorious God. The God whose power can do all things. The God who will never fail to keep His promises. The God whose amazing grace saved even me. The God who sent His Son to die, to be raised again. When I see Him with the eyes of my heart, when I see who He is, when I see His greatness, when I see His goodness, when His glory captures my heart, then I know I can trust Him. In the uncertainties of my life, I can trust Him. In the depths of all my pain, I can trust Him. In the darkness of my grief, I can trust Him. Even as I deal with the decline and decay of this body and face my own death, I can trust Him. Dear friend, you can trust Him as Mary did because He is gracious and faithful and powerful. You can trust Him. The question is, will you? Will you? Will you? trust this God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before You. Thankful that You have spoken in Your Word and that You have revealed Yourself to us. We thank You for this angelic announcement. We're thankful that it means the birth of our Savior, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we're thankful that even in announcing His coming, You show us Your grace and Your faithfulness and Your power. Help us to respond in faith, to live life as Your servants, 
that the cry of our heart would be, Lord, let it be to me and in me and through me according to your word. May we be a church that glorifies you in all of life because we walk by faith and not by sight. And we pray again for those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Open their eyes to see who you are, to see your grace and your faithfulness and your power. Give them grace that they might run to you and joyfully embrace Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Before we sing together, we are going to remember the day.